know what you been missing. Get your ladies up to date and do Don't mind working for mine. Got a hand up, got a hand up. The press warm to the touch. On the morning of September 27th, 2022, residents of the homeless encampment in Tui Park woke to find the place they called home littered with flyers. Across the top of each, in big block letters, read, Maria Haddon's five-day notice to vacate. My story this week takes us to Tui Park up in Rogers Park. Uh, we've covered this park before because during the pandemic, it became the site of a rather large encampment for people who were experiencing houselessness. Jacoby Cochran of Daily News podcast, CityCast Chicago. But it is back in the, the news while... Uh, the older person up there, Maria Haddon, has worked with individuals staying at Tui Park to secure housing. Uh, the encampment has started to balloon again as we move into chillier, colder months. Uh, unfortunately, this week, there was a flyer that was posted in the park that announced uh, Maria Haddon was having the people living in this encampment evicted in five days. I'm Jesse Batend, and this is where I stay. Season two, episode two, switcheroo. Previously on Where I Stay. Streetwise editor Suzanne Haney, vendor and contributor Mr. Allen, and I tracked down Tom Gordon, the elected mayor of a tent encampment on Chicago's north side, to find out more about the rising number of tent camps that had been popping up throughout the city. We got snow coming this winter. If it's a heavy snow, you can kiss your tent goodbye. What we found was that tent camps exist in a legal limbo, literally by threat of lawsuit from housing activists. I, I think the only reason there's a basic level of tolerance there is because the coalition has sued them. The city, nor the park district, they don't support encampments, right? I have people down here, eyes and ears and cameras. Any of my people get a ticket down there? I'll take it. I'll take it to the coalition and we'll sue the shit out of the city. Meanwhile, tensions had been simmering over a new encampment that emerged in the park a block away from where I grew up. But things really started to bubble when the park district decided to shut down the park's field house and cancel all the fall programming. While the older person, Maria Haddon, was committed to her policy of housing everyone in the park, a growing number of frustrated locals and political opponents were calling for a more direct approach. three weeks before eviction. Issue of the day, of course, was the Tui Park encampment. Um, I always said it's a people issue and we need to do this in a humane way, um, but, but they in no way should be uh, allowed to stay in the park because that's not what the park was designed for. Um, yeah, you know, the children's program had to move. There's needles, there's, there's prostitution. Um, there's indecent exposure, there's urination defecation. I saw it last night when I went over there. Um, there. This is in no ways okay. On September 12th, the Chicago Park District announced their decision to close Tui Park's field house and move the park's fall programming to nearby Potawatomi Park. At this point, the camp had ballooned to 41 tents and parents had raised safety concerns, according to a Block Club Chicago interview with President of the Park District Advisory Council, Jill Liska. 
The decision to shut down the rest of the park's programs came as a surprise to seemingly everyone else, including the ward's alderperson, Maria Haddon, who told the Loyola Phoenix newspaper that she'd, quote, learned about it from Jill Liska's Facebook post. She called their communication very poor. President of the Park District Advisory Council, Jill Liska, disagreed, telling Block Club, quote, it was a surprise and not a surprise, since the situation hadn't improved. Liska said many mornings, Tui Park staff would start the day by looking for needles laying in the park. Haddon reiterated that the city's temporary policy was not to evict anyone living in parks or public areas during the pandemic. She argued that suddenly closing the park without explanation didn't help the situation at all. Needless to say, everyone was pissed. At a town hall meeting two days later, Haddon echoed the community's frustrations, telling her gathered constituents, quote, it's very unclear what the park district is doing. Um, Jason, you're next. Okay, great. Um, my topic is about the um, Tui Park thing, um, mostly. A lot of people know me because I walk my um, tortoise every day in, in one of the parks. I want to get a group of people together. That park closes at 11 o'clock. You're not allowed to be in there. I've talked to police on this. They're saying you're tying their hands, not allowing them to do their job. We get a group of people there. We have a bullhorn. You got one hour to pack your stuff and get out or you will be arrested for trespassing and your stuff will be destroyed. You've allowed that park to turn into a disaster area. It's nothing but a, a drug open air market, needles all over the place. The reason they don't have kids events there is because it's no longer safe. I think indefinitely is going to be until April when you get voted out of office and we have someone that's going to do their job in it. It's a disgrace what's happened to Tui Park. It's a disgrace what's happened in the area. While the tent city's detractors were far from the majority, they were loud and vocal, not only at town hall meetings and in voicemails to the alderperson's office, but also in semi-public posts in community Facebook groups, a fact that the local news had begun to notice as vitriol intensified. The majority of people are out there in tents because they're drug addicts, because they would rather shoot dope and smoke crack than get a job. It's called responsibility. Yes, there are people that have fallen onto hard times, but the vast majority put them into that situation and making all the rest of us suffer, not being able to have parks to go around to out there because you would rather pander to people calling them victims. I'd like to hear so your reaction. Me, uh, um, sure, I won't react because you don't want my reaction. Um, I will respond. Yes, I do. I very much want your reaction. Yeah, you want my response. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a couple of clarifying questions as I as I do that as well, if you don't Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. Um, um, so if folks want to engage positively, um, that's fantastic. I will caution people against trying to take any kind of enforcement into your own hands because you're not a peace officer. No, the police officers will be there with us. I've already talked to officers. So I'm going to finish, I'm gonna to finish talking, Jason. I'd really appreciate sure. it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. They argued about the park, about Haddon and her response. A lot of discussion centered on a plan she backed to help relocate a homeless shelter, previously in nearby Uptown, to a location a few blocks away from Tui Park. The shelter had been forced to abandon their old deteriorating building and had been operating throughout the pandemic out of a closed down Super 8 motel in Haddon's ward. I would also challenge um, this assertion that I've heard in a lot of spaces that somehow I have told the police that they can't do anything or tied their hands. I want to be really clear for folks. The people in charge of the police department, it's the superintendent of police. 
Here locally in the 24th district, it's our 24th district commander, Joseph Brennan, who's wonderful, really love him. And decisions around enforcement, decisions around what police do and don't do are made at the level of the superintendent and the mayor. The Facebook group Rogers Park News is an intriguing time capsule of the conversations that were going on around this time. The police commander wanted to address the issue and take care of the issue, but he cannot do it. He says, he he didn't say his hands were tied, but I've heard that before. Clearly tensions had been building throughout the summer. In June, a dog walker posted a video of a homeless man near the beach about a mile away, who he claimed had threatened his dog while they were out for a walk. The dog owner called the police, and the officers talked to the homeless man, but ultimately didn't make an arrest. Afterwards, the dog owner returned to the scene to record a short video of the man lying on his stomach under a tree, his wild white hair blowing in the breeze. The video was posted as a warning to others. He wrote, The police either cannot or will not help you. If you walk your dog in the area, bring pepper spray, a gun if you have one, or some other form of defense. Report any incidents to the police and to the alderwoman, Maria Haddon. While the police likely won't do anything, there would at least be a record for crime statistics. What's clear from the post is the sense of anger, fear, and frustration that some people felt. And how these strong negative emotions were increasingly being directed towards Haddon's decision not to clear the park by force. A sentiment echoed in dozens of comments. While alderperson Haddon's most pressing deadline was the potentially lethal threat of winter's bitter cold, There was also the normal pressure of an election year. The election was just around the corner in February, and Haddon's opponents clearly saw the situation in Tui Park as a chance to score political points. Hi, this is Bill Morton from 49th Ward, Alderperson. I'm over here at Eugene Field School. One of Haddon's challengers in the upcoming election was a man named Bill Morton, a proud resident of Rogers Park for over 10 years and the current head of the Rogers Park Chamber of Commerce. And the first thing I'm going to do as your next 49th Ward Alderperson is to house every single person in the Tui Park tent encampment. All right, thank you. Despite the community Facebook groups logging the camp's indiscretions and Haddon's opponents doing their best to dwell on her shortcomings, tent city residents had been receiving housing the entire time. Accelerated moving events, or AMEs, were a new concept inspired by the pandemic and made possible by extra COVID recovery money. Hey, good morning. It's Alderwoman Maria Haddon, and we're, I'm out here at Tui Park. Um, AMEs partnered nonprofits and city resources from agencies like the Department of Family and Support Services and brought them directly to people in need of housing. They work to identify market rate apartments across the city with landlords who are willing to sign up for this housing program. Once eligible locations are scouted, caseworkers go directly to meet with people in need of housing to fast track them through the housing process. Within a couple of weeks, as things are finalized, these folks will be able to move into their apartments, and those apartments are paid for for the year, and they're receiving um, social services with those nonprofits. The new tenants got 12 months of rent covered through a program called Permanent Supportive Housing. We spoke to Alderperson Haddon a few days after the city's third moving event in Tui Park. After months of planning, the event had successfully housed another 20 people. We had 20 people signed up. We had 10 people on a wait list, and we had 20 units of housing available, and they were able to match 20 people with housing. AMEs are highly effective. On average, they've been shown to reduce the time it takes to house someone by 15 days, according to the agency in charge of funding them. That is, they're highly effective when they actually happen. 
AMEs aren't without their problems. They take months to organize, and the pandemic was slowing everything down further at multiple points. The actual outreach workers who would be going to the park needed to be hired through the city's nonprofits, which was difficult with staff already short. Nicole Behenna is the Vice President of Community Partnerships with All Chicago, the agency that coordinates the money that the city gets from the federal government to combat homelessness. When we were holding these accelerated moving events over the summer, we had contracted with so many agencies to hire case managers. They just could not hire them, and it put everything on pause. We had to go three months without having any moving events because there was no case managers to support the people on their housing journey. Case managers are sort of like the magic sauce to being able to help someone end their episode of homelessness. They are the ones who build relationships, connect people to resources, work through landlord issues, make sure the landlords get paid. They help connect people to jobs, income, employment, their mental health counselors, they're, they're everything. And most social workers are not making enough money to want to do the work anymore. We're not paying our social workers enough. When when I was um, the executive director at an organization before I came to All Chicago, the starting salary for someone coming out of a master's degree social work program was $33,000. But I'll give you one quick example um, about how this impacts the system. So right now we have a lot of permanent supportive housing units open. And when we went and talked to our agencies and said, why do you guys have so many open units? They said, we don't have any case managers. We can't put someone in a unit without case management. That would be doing a disservice. Aaron Ryan with nonprofit The Night Ministry. You know, they can bring an accelerated moving event to an encampment and house an entire encampment in one day. I mean, those are really great ideas. And then they got they get put on hold because, you know, no one can hire. And so they didn't have anyone to run the events. <laughs> you know, it's like these good ideas that just can't like get traction because other things happening in the world. And then meanwhile, you know, tax-paying citizens who are complaining that they have to walk their dog next to people living outside um, and the pressure in an election year. So, you know, now there's pressure on aldermen and other elected officials to do something at a micro local level. right? So, you know, this is an issue in almost every ward, I would assume. Ultimately, they found themselves in a frustrating situation where the system was flush with money but had trouble spending it where and when it needed to most. Why can't we pay them? It's interesting because we, when we were having, experiencing that staffing crisis at our subcontract agent, subcontract partner agencies, we went to them and said, we, we have money, we can throw money at this problem. If you need money, do hiring bonuses, do retention bonuses, like raise the salaries. And they said, that's great. That's great for this program, but how can I give a bonus to this case manager who's going to get hired today, but not to the 25 other case managers uh, that, we have, or, uh, that are under these other sources that are not sort of experiencing this yeah. large influx? And wow. we were like, oh, right. And we couldn't use our funding hmm. to supplement all of those salaries either, right? Because it's restricted. And if it weren't for the federal funds we've been given from COVID relief, we wouldn't be able to, to do what we've been doing over this last couple of years. AMEs were only possible because of the federal government's COVID recovery plan. They're just one example of how the pandemic, and more importantly, a big influx of cash, resulted in creative new ideas for tackling the problem of homelessness, speed bumps notwithstanding. So the mayor talks about us having about 200 million 
that we've committed to kind of homelessness outreach and prevention, which is true. Um, but that money's going to run out. Um, so we have until 2025 to use it, but we're going to run through this money before 2025. It's a one-time thing, or is it going to last more than a year or two? I mean, is it one pot of money that we're going to get and then it's gone? I mean, that's that's the question on everybody's minds, right? The COVID funds are meant to last until 2025. But even back in 2022, Haddon was expecting the money to run out long before then. This presents a number of problems. There was no guarantee there would be another recovery bill. The moratorium on evictions was gone, as were programs providing rental assistance, both facts that were contributing to the current numbers of people in the park. The question mark hovering over funding severely limited how long-term solutions could be. The permanent supportive housing people were being offered was actually 12 months of supportive housing, in case the money disappeared. So to sum up the situation, Haddon's novel idea of clearing the park by finding people housing faced a series of interconnected hurdles. Directly around the corner was winter, and potentially lethal cold. Then the election, then the possibility of running out of funds, which could mean newly housed people ending up back on the street. Each issue flowed right into the other. The 49th Ward needed both immediate housing in the area and a source of long-term money to make the services possible. Haddon's hopes rested on convincing the people with the power to do both, Chicago's voters. So what we're trying to do with Bring Chicago Home is uh, increase uh, a sales tax on luxury real estate to provide 150 to $200 million in annual funds for the city. Haddon's solution to the money problem was a proposal called Bring Chicago Home. Its authors estimated it would bring in $150 to $200 million a year, which would go directly to funding homeless services. The solution that we're trying to, to get to is finding a dedicated source of funding to help us help Chicagoans prevent homelessness, and we don't have a dedicated source of funding for that. But before Chicagoans could vote one way or another on Bring Chicago Home, Chicago's city council would first have to approve it. Haddon and her colleagues were planning to call a special city council meeting in November in hopes of adding Bring Chicago Home to the ballot for the election in February. In the meantime, Haddon had decided to back the controversial plan to find a permanent home for the shelter that had been operating out of the nearby Super 8 motel. Northside Housing, um, which is a uh, 40-year organization providing emergency uh, shelter to men experiencing homelessness have actually been awarded grant funds to purchase a building. Northside Housing was one of only two shelters on the North Side that accepted homeless males. A lack of programs that accept men is a big problem, and it's often for very simple reasons. They're the group that is most often associated with misbehavior, violence, criminality, frankly, the group who elicits the least visceral sympathy. And I believe you located a space or they found a space on Clark Street and you held public hearings. I saw a combination of media stuff on that. I read one magazine that was very upset about it. They're like, oh, these people, you know, are they're they're men and they're they've got their tent flaps open and there's kids going to school. And then there's other people who are like, you know, we understand they need housing. They need a shelter. Just tell us a little bit about your take on the public meetings you had. 
Sure. It was, um, I think you, you got a good summary there. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. New at 10, a proposal for a new homeless shelter serving men on the north side is getting the go ahead. But not everyone is on board with the plan. CBS News Medibel Gonzalez is in Rogers Park with a closer look at the controversy. Peter Marquez, who is the president of the center's board, says it's important the shelter gets a permanent home. We are now one of only two shelters exclusively for men. Uh, on the north side of the city. So it is vital that um, our shelter, that we able to move that shelter. We had a, several public meetings and um, what it required was um, aldermanic support of a special use permit for the organization. Even people in support of a shelter worried that this shelter's zero tolerance policy regarding substance abuse meant that people living in the park who also used drugs would just refuse to stay at the shelter or get kicked out anyway ultimately resulting in more homeless in the area. Some were quite blunt about their fears. I see one more hand, Lillian. Hello? Hi, Lillian, go ahead. I have a lot of views on this myself and there's negatives and there's positives. Um, I've been in Rogers Park for over 20 years and it's been a battle um, trying to fight off the elements around here. Um, it's been a struggle to, I mean, I let, okay, so I am the owner of the three flat right next to the building. And I was homeless at one time, but I got myself together and I bought the building and I made it an Airbnb. Now, my concern is that already, without anybody, since the building is still vacant, I'm still fighting off the elements. I have a lot of people wandering onto my property who are sleeping or who are urinating or defecating or doing whatever they're doing back there. They're charging their phones off of my electricity. I'm constantly, I mean, they're, it's, it's, it's a madhouse around here. And I even had to put up a fence and that didn't keep anybody out. Um, and um, I mean, that's a, that's a concern in itself. But then the second concern is that we all know how social media works and we know that you get one review that's negative. They could shut me down. If, if I get several people, I mean, they only need to hear one negative thing. And then possibly if I can't pay my mortgage, then I'm going to be homeless. So I'm, I agree that we should all help with homelessness. I'm all for it and I help a lot, but I also need to consider myself here because I know that Rogers Park is a big area and we have a lot of residents, but I'm the one that's gonna be right next door and it's gonna affect me more than anybody. Because I already know that right now, people have sent reviews, oh, it's a nice place, Lillian's a great host, blah, blah, blah. but it's unsafe. I mean, this is what people are already saying. Not too many, you know, um, it's been very limited, but every time someone leaves here, I cringe because I'm like, what are they going to say? They're not going to say anything about us, but they're going to say about the elements outside the area. I mean, we need to do something. Uh, if I, if I'm walking down how, or if I'm driving, I would never walk down how, cause it, it, I mean, it, it's, it's a little scary. And I mean, Lily? yes, um, um, 
I actually want to make sure, because I, I, I want to end the meeting for time, but I want to make sure we get your contact information so I can directly follow up with you. Because I, I, I hear your concerns and I'm, I'm wondering. People like Lillian were ultimately in the minority, hadn't even had data about where opinions split on the issue. After the second town hall, her staff circulated a community survey. To kind of gauge, you know, feedback and interest, but we ended up with 1,203 survey respondents and over 70% in support of the shelter. Um, so while there were, some, there were some vocal opponents, they were in the minority um, because most people in, in the 49th Ward um, they want people to be housed. Then smack dab in the middle of all these town hall Zoom meetings, on Tuesday, September 27th, the people in Tui Park woke to find a bunch of flyers stuffed into their belongings and posted throughout the park, informing them they were about to be evicted. The flyers specified that Tui Park residents had five days to leave, clearing the park. According to Block Club Chicago reporter Joe Ward, Haddon's name was listed across the top in bold blue type over a line reading landlord slash agent. That sent uh, a lot of panic throughout the members of this encampment. Uh, some people started packing their things up. But here's the really weird part. In exchange for leaving, the flyers, quote, promised residents would be relocated for free to the Four Seasons Hotel in a ritzy area outside of Haddon's ward. Their stay at the hotel would be open-ended, quote, for as long as it takes for Maria Haddon to find you appropriate housing. I don't know, it might just be me, but something about that feels particularly pointed. Once the flyers were discovered, some residents started taking down their tents and packing their belongings, encouraged by the prospect of being put up in a fancy hotel. Others remained skeptical. By the next day, they found out they were being duped. Uh, Maria hadn't even had to go down to Tui Park to let members of the community know that this was a scam, that she had nothing to do with this. It, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. To read the story and to hear that when people found out that they weren't going to be put up in a, a Four Seasons hotel, as the eviction notice stated, uh, many people were brought to tears mm, and, and were broken down because they're already facing the constant threat of having their things stolen. Right, um, right. Having themselves be displaced from the park or, or any other resource they're trying to find during this during this time. And for this publicity stunt to just be so callous and in their face. Um, yeah. Haddon passed the notices to the city's law department and her personal attorneys. It wasn't immediately clear if the flyers were even illegal. Suzanne, Allen, and I visited Tui Park in November, about a month after the prank. It was supposed to be Community Chili Night, a new weekly tradition in the park. News outlet Block Club Chicago covered the previous week's gathering, which had grown from a small act of solidarity into a full-on thing. The idea for a weekly chili night was started by a resident, Ahmad Chaudhry, who lived near Tui Park with his wife and 10-month-old. He'd began the previous summer, bringing chili and some serving supplies by himself and setting his large pot on a park bench. Eventually, he got linked up with an activist group, Rogers Park Food Not Bombs. They joined forces with other neighbors to offer a weekly chili night where housed and unhoused come together over a home-cooked meal. He told Block Club that the debate surrounding Tent City is partially what inspired him to get involved. Quote, I just felt like the humanity was lost. It irked me that there was so much condescension. 
So the following Wednesday, we decided to check it out. By the time we got there, the November sun had already set. We'd all come separately, taking different routes through the field grass. Once we'd finally flagged each other down, the three of us met up in the dark, in the middle of the tents, to discuss what we'd seen on our individual paths through Tui Park Tent City. The first thing we'd all observed, there wasn't much community at Chili Night. In fact, none of us had even seen anyone besides a few volunteers, with a bowl or otherwise. I'd been worried we had the wrong night until I spotted the Food Not Bombs table, stacked with a few large pots. The volunteers were packing up. They told me they'd only served four or five people all evening. So I know so, they was disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounded like in the article, it sounded like there were people who used to live here who came back to get food and like, it sounded kind of lively. Of I was telling so, her, maybe it has something to do with it being nice tonight. People are just out doing other things. Right, right, right. I don't know. Traffic and everything, man. It's a lot of... This wasn't what we were expecting. During Block Club reporter Joe Ward's visit, it had been well attended, lively even. His article led with the story of a man formerly living in the park who'd been housed and had come back to share some food with his old neighbors. Stranger still, all three of us had noticed the knocked over and abandoned tents. While there seemed to be about 25 or so tents still standing, there were a surprising amount that were laying in disrepair. Some even looked like they still contained personal possessions. There's a lady over here, and her mother's over here. Oh, yeah? She lives next door to her mother. All right. Oh, you want to start there? All let's right, let's, let's, let's there. go talk to them. We decided to try to find a resident of the encampment that Alan knew. He'd been to Tui Park a few days earlier as part of an event Streetwise members participated in. He'd interviewed a woman and her mother who were living in tents next to each other. On our way, we spotted someone walking towards a tent. Suzanne broke the silence. Can you tell us why you came to the encampment? I don't understand the mama. Ah, okay. You don't. Where do you work? Where do you work? No, no. 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 Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. So let, let me ask you one thing. Have you have you found family here? You know, I mean, is it like family. a family community? In this, in this, here. It's not like home? No, he doesn't really know. It's not like home at all. We all waved at each other apologetically and carried on as the man turned towards a small tent near the center of the park. This area of the park was particularly dark. While the northwest side of the park was cast in the orange, ever so slightly buzzing glow of municipal streetlights, the lights that formerly lit the park's south edge had burned out. The southern section of the park and the paved walkway through its athletic field were bathed in the kind of darkness that makes city folk nervous. Nowhere near pitch black, but dark enough that you had to get close to notice the brown, dead patches in the grass, squares and rectangles where tents used to be. This looks like there, there literally used to be a tent here, you can yeah. tell. Yeah. But that's awesome, that means that somebody got housing. Or yeah. left for some reason, yeah. Looks yeah. like another patch here. There's a lot of stuff out here. A knocked over tent with a row of shoes out front. A broken bicycle twisted violently. Finally, we arrived at the spot that Alan remembered the woman and her mom had set up their tents. Oh, this tent's like fully down. This was hers right here. So the mother's is there, but hers is like ripped down. Hers is like, yeah, let down or something. And her stuff is here. Well, why would she leave her stuff? So we don't know if they're gone or what? 
We kept walking, looking for anyone to ask. Hello? Hello? I don't see anybody. No. Hello? No, I don't think there's anybody. I'm not finding anybody. You think they're still out? So people just leave the tents abandoned? We might be called turning in. What does this say? Oh, wait a second. Yo, yo, yo. Off street cleaning notice. Look, look. This is probably why. Off street cleaning notice on Friday coming up. Hang on. 6 a.m. to 4.30. Hang on, I'll take a picture of it. Yeah. It says they're doing street cleaning here on the 9th. On Friday. So two days from now. And they're doing, it says, mechanical sweeping, power washing, Chicago Municipal Code prohibits storing personal property on the public way or placing items that are an obstruction to the public way. If, if such is encountered in the public way during the day and times identified, it may be discarded by the city. Whoa. That's kind of cool to get. We should, yeah, we should ask people about that specifically and if that's why there's seemingly... Huh. You see somebody where? Right there. You see him? Right there. Mm. On the other side, all the way? Yeah. So that's, where they keep, that's where they keep their food over there. Oh, yeah? Right. Okay. Let's go, especially in the lighted areas yeah. like that. People tend to hang out on the benches. Maybe we can meet somebody that lives here and is just yeah. talking. talking yeah, agreed. Okay. Because I definitely feel weird, like, waking someone up. I don't right. want to do that. Right. Right. No, you're great. You're you're fearless. I love it. Not that there's anything to fear, but like, you know. Something going on. Another tent that's just like ripped down. What's up with? Yeah. It seems abandoned. Yeah, a chair and a easy chair and a... Yeah, take a picture of that one, yeah. I am, yeah. Actually, take a picture of some of the knockdown ones, too. Yeah. That seems like, and like the tires missing from this bike. Man, something, something changed. We headed in the direction of the illuminated northern end of the park. It wasn't a long walk. The park itself is about the length of two city blocks, most of it grass. There's the now infamous closed down field house and the usual city park features, a slide, a set of swings. When I was a little kid, it wasn't uncommon to walk over and see the swings flipped over the top bar, dangling there heartbreakingly for a few days before someone bothered to get out a ladder and wind them back down. The playground is on the northeast section of the park, as far as possible from where the tents were loosely grouped. There were a couple of old trees, which have probably been there since before the park was a park, and not one, but two baseball diamonds with the uncomfortable black metal bleachers where I had my first kiss. I don't think I've ever seen anyone play baseball at Tui Park. A few dudes throwing a ball around, sure, but nothing that resembled an organized league. I played Little League at Warren Park, a few miles away. What amenities the park lacked, the community figured out for themselves. Just about every night of the summer, you could see groups of Hispanic teens drag the city trash cans from their designated locations to form the boundaries of soccer goals. 
There was a tennis court, which would occasionally see use, but mostly me and the neighbor girl went there to roller skate across its silky smooth surface. A boy in the neighborhood used to drag one of those plastic Fisher-Price basketball nets that you give children out into the park so he could challenge other kids to shootouts. As a kid, I never understood why there were two baseball diamonds, but no basketball court. Nearby Potawatomi Park had four, and they were always at full capacity. One summer, when I was eight or nine, my dad volunteered with an organization called Tree Keepers to plant new saplings along the west side of the park near Clark Street, the same stretch that we were currently walking. I honestly can't remember if it was a punishment or some sort of character-building exercise, but I remember spending the summer with him, digging out holes and packing fresh soil around the new trees. Now, all these years later, one of them was serving as a bike rack for one of Marine's five bikes. Oh, you like my bicycle? I got five of them. One, two, three, four, five. When we got to the north edge of the park, we ran into two guys hanging out by a radio and drinking beer. Alan asked if we could interview them. What can you do for homeless people? Streetwise. Okay, what we want to do is interview. Okay, I'm going to interview about. How about the chin? You live over here? No. The two guys were buddies who'd met years ago while living on the street. Both of them were veterans. Okay, he wanted, he, they want to interview about you, man. No, oh, they don't interview me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell no. United States Marine Corps. Interview, interview my government. Okay. Oh, yeah, interview this government. This is the Marines. Okay. okay. I'm an army guy. What about some veterans? The louder, goofy guy with the bikes, we'll call him Marine, was currently living in the park. His friend with the Jamaican accent was former army. You were a tanker? Yes, man. Tanker. I was a second armor division. Three, six, seven armor. I'm a truck driver. And he was a truck driver. Basically, 35, 31. Convoy. I'll take a truck and hit that building right there. Run through and knock, what we knock do, the fat truck what we do, What we do, we go some and blow the building up, and we send infantry guys go in. Wow. If I don't get your infantry ass over there to blow it up, ain't no blow up. Because <laughs> okay. I'm driving this truck. Demolitions okay. expert. This is not a good time to interview people because nobody's out. Yeah. You know, it's you know what, him. Just out of curiosity, it seems like a lot of the tents are like knocked over. Are they abandoned? Empty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, some really? Them, some, some of them got some of me. Yeah. Some of them got that. Some of them got them housing and okay. took off. And they just the left their stuff. Right. Oh. Exactly. I can't help but find these two interesting. Honestly, they were both pretty funny. There's a certain warped fairy tale quality to their back and forth, or maybe it's like old vaudeville. I wish I could play more of the interview, but the audio quality is so bad that I'll keep it to the most relevant sections. I tell you what, y'all, uh, whoever doing this series is doing good. Really? Taking care of the people that, that's here. Like, better than the south side. Really? Better than the west side. Unlike Marine, Army was no longer homeless. He came out to the park every now and then to check on his buddy and give him a little nudge. You've known him for 25 years? Yeah. years! How'd you guys meet? I was, I was homeless. When you were homeless? Yeah, 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 yeah but, but, but we still was homeless together. And he ain't gonna leave me and I'll never leave him. I was almost for seven years, sir. Seven what? years. Yeah. And I went to Safe Haven and did what they said to do, right? And I yeah. did that. You know, I got my house in. I'm trying to help this crazy ass guy right here. You're Marine. Get yourself straight, Joe. Man, 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 your business, man. So you're a 
got housing? You got housing? Yeah, I got housing. Hey, and you got you got you got his kids. Got two kids. Go kiss the kids, man. So what? You gonna take the bus home after you finish drinking? Yes, man. Yeah. All right. Army seemed to think his buddy was dragging his feet. Do you have you been offered housing yourself? Oh, well, you don't man, want it. You don't want it. No, what you mean I don't want it? Man, oh, stop lying. Uh, <laughs> Why are you still here then? Hey, because I'm looking at you, Uncle. <laughs> Do you are you staying for any particular reason? Or is oh, me? this just you? No, I just now? like no, I just no, 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 hold him up now. I got him. My brother got a mansion in Bolingbrook right around the corner for Chase Bill Penitentiary. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Hey, you know what he said? He said State Bill Penitentiary. Okay? That's that's what he's mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I walked right into that one. Oh, that, that people are serious, man. Man, I'm serious. What yeah, the hell you doing? trying to help me, black ass. Help me? Get, get that out of here, man. Man, you crazy monster. My credit card in my pocket. What's so, so you're looking for housing. What kind of housing did they offer you? Did they offer you housing yet? Yeah, hey, I, they gave me Section 8. So how come you didn't take it? You didn't take it? or I, I, I want to take it, but they're telling me to, I got so long to do it. And I got a caseworker, and they acting like, what, what, me, you got to do it. What, 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 what? And she's talking about, come on, ain't nobody talking. You She what, asking me what? questions. And she's telling me, they telling me, you can't get it. I'm you can't get it fast enough. And then they You're took Marine, it, they man. took it from You're me. Marine. Man, shut up. You are me, shut up. These guys were cracking Alan up. This is some good mood, ain't it? Yeah. Seemingly the only topic that Army and Marine agreed about was that the help available to Tent City was better than what they'd seen in other wards. Marine brought up Haddon specifically. Who is that on the place? Uh, wait a minute, 49th. Oh, what's her name? Marcus. Haddon, Maria Haddon? Yeah, she, she, hey, now she there, she there. Don't, don't throw it down, don't put it down, she, she there. You appreciate her? She's there. Marine mimes hugging an imaginary alder woman. Uh, she's done good for the encampment, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, she was, at first, you know, we skeptical, but she there, she there. My, my big mistake was I shouldn't have got out. I should have stayed here for 20 years, man. I'll be nice. I'll yeah, be, uh, me? I'll be great, right, man? Me? I love y'all. Y'all some beautiful. Fuck that. Nah. <laughs> All right. Well, we won't bother you anymore. Yeah, that is easy. I appreciate talking to your people, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? Good hey, luck but to we give you. We give you what we got. We give you what we got. Yep. We give you what we got. Yeah. And we got plenty more. As we walked away from the vets, another man approached us frantically. No, we're just talking to people, that's all. I, 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 you're talking about your housing situation? You're trying to get housing? Right. No. Oh, I mean, I'm just going for somebody. Supposed to be today. Marine had walked up as we were talking to the frustrated man. Just say it, say it, say it, no come. I said, well, see, they, all they do is feed us monkey ball. You know what I'm saying? Hey, don't talk about it, be about it. As Marine was talking, the frustrated man was getting more and more agitated. I give you information to somebody, and look at that, supposed to be coming for my friend today, and never coming. So, he's only talking and talking and doing nothing. So See, supposed to be taking today for my for. body, to take it to, to so where, where I had to live, and I'm and get my information, everything. 
I said, you know what? I give you all my information. And I buy ID and everything. And I'm feeling that. like uh, you what you cheating to me? But you yeah. want only my information? What's gonna what you gonna do with, do with that information? What you gonna do with that? So No, no, it's not right. You have to be true when you say Yes, yes. But come on, come to my office. Yeah. Take me. So you're saying? Let's go. I just want to make sure I understand. Today, yeah, you record it. I know that. Yeah. So we're not. I'm not sure who you were talking to. I don't think we're the same people not, that you not were talking him. to. As well as, uh, I, I, I'm maybe, but I, like I said, a lot of the organization coming and do this, say something, and never do it. Just only say and say and say and don't do nothing. Hey, or no? I really tell you to give all my information. I said, wow, you working for police or what's going on? Well, yeah, okay. so we're, we're working with No way, no. No more my information. Yes, do the truth, sir. Yeah. Let's go to the house and let's wait. I'm down he there. Ready, when I give you the house, yeah. when I'm putting in your home, I give you, a, I'll give you my, infer, um, my information. You don't have to give us any I'm really tired you don't to do this. No, 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 for I real. understand. You sound frustrated. Anonymous. No, he okay. Yeah. Anonymous. No, this is who we are. This We're is with me. Three wise. You know Sorry, magazine? I'm not getting Have you ever you heard of Streetwise Magazine? This is me. This is me. Okay. Okay. Give me right. one. Let me we, check we it out. We write about homelessness. Yeah, we but I'm stories about homelessness. Ask a lot of people, like I say, come in. I already got me information. I'm, they give me my ID and everything. My wife comes. This is right. us. No, 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 no. This. Okay. Thank you so much. But I'm really tired to say, okay, I'm going to take it out of here. The man walked off, leaving us with Marine. We said goodbye and started back south. As we passed the strange ice cream cone statue in the middle of the park, Alan chimed in. Wait, say that again, Alan. I would live in there. That would be my tent. Describe describe it for the podcast listeners. Okay, okay. Is it a statue? No, it's a concrete cone. It's a concrete cone. But wait till... Wait till you look at it, and then, Susan, you can take a picture of me inside there. I'll take a picture because of you inside. It's like an art Trust installation me. or something uh, yeah. in the Trust park. Trust me, I, that would be my home right there. It is pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. just heard something squeak. Yeah. I would have, I would have a tin on the outside, big old mic. Yeah, I thought I saw her a mouse. Take a picture of uh, Alan's... Mouse right next to this damn tent. No, this where I'd be at. In here. <laughs> I, I clean all this yeah, out, man. I clean all this out. Put a sleeping bag in here. <laughs> man, put a sleeping bag in here. I put a tarp right here. Oh, it is concrete. This. You're right. Yeah, I put a tarp feels, over this. Wouldn't this be super uncomfortable to sleep on? Yeah. No, I pat it. I pat it. Pat it down. Man, I put a heat up in here. Yeah, honestly, it's not so bad. In the back, it's like covered. So if you cover the front, you actually know, block out the wind. Right, right, right. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. Get your both. Oh, okay. You gonna need a Alan and I pose so Suzanne can snap a photo. I couldn't help but notice that when Alan was talking to Mayor Tom, he'd said something about how if he'd joined the community of Tent City, he probably never would have left. Now he was posing in front of his would-be home in a cone. There seemed to be a part of Alan that still thought fondly of the parts of his youth that he spent homeless and traveling. Just then, we were interrupted by another of Tent City's residents. You see that thing? Oh, man. He's coming for a photo. Yeah, he's coming for his photo op. Ratatouille. Let me see if I can get him. 
It's gonna run. Are you sure that's not a squirrel? It's coming to you. Hey, that's yeah. a fucking rat. Oh that's my god. He's fat, ain't he? Oh my god. He's gotta be pregnant. That thing is huge. Holy smokes. Hey, hey, get a picture of Suzanne chasing the rat. Did you get him? You I got, got him, yeah. You got him? Mm-hmm. I think we got a picture of you chasing him, which is even better. <laughs> <laughs> the park offered one final thought on our way out. Suzanne stopped at the park entrance to take a picture of a sign with the park's rules. Fires, alcohol, littering. Wait, wait, wait. Catch the part at the bottom right after the last note from the city. What does that say there? Fuck (laughs) capitalism. I left the park thinking about the differences between Tui Park and the more established tent city under the Uptown Viaducts. Also with a renewed appreciation for Mayor Tom's organizational skills. Tui Park was in its infancy compared to Uptown. From what we'd seen, it seemed to have neither the leadership structure or sense of community promoted by Mayor Tom. I found it particularly interesting that the residents of Tui Park Tent City had apparently decided themselves to segregate their camp, with tents tending to cluster based around their occupants' race. Then again, occupancy in the park was turning over fast enough that maybe there wasn't time for a leadership structure to be established. The other big difference was the praise that Army and Marine expressed for their altar person, It echoes something that Mayor Tom told us, that being homeless on the north side gets you housed quicker. Does being at either Tui or Lakeshore Drive in Uptown, does does coming to this encampment get you housing faster? Yeah, I think so. You think Mm. so? I believe so. Has it always been that way? I mean, that was what the story was four years ago. Yeah, it still is. The 49th Ward's particular mix of 70% compassionate befuddlement, 30% classic not-in-my-backyard mentality, had produced a situation where there was political pressure to clear the park without using force. But that wasn't how things had played out a few years ago in Uptown, or under Lower Wacker Drive in The Loop, or at O'Hare Airport, where migrants and others in need of housing were becoming a major concern. At a certain point, what happens in Tui Park isn't really up to Alderperson Haddon anyway. Her plans are just suggestions. She's in charge through winter. But after that, whether the shelter moves in, or the city council approves long-term plans to fund all these services, that would be up to the voters. Homelessness was shaping up to be a central issue in the February 2023 election, from races for Alderperson across the city, all the way to the mayor of Chicago. The last question I had was, how did Haddon's name end up on those fake eviction flyers anyway? The mystery of who was behind the prank didn't remain a mystery for long. The first clue, two other names that appeared on the fake eviction notices themselves. Within a day, reporters had talked to both of the people that the names belonged to, and surprisingly, one had even claimed responsibility. They'd also provided an explanation. Sarah Lim, a DePaul College freshman with political ambitions, told Block Club Chicago that she'd put the flyers up as part of what she described as a publicity stunt, hoping to drive traffic to her website. This is a lot to wrap your head around, but the explanation was essentially this. Lim aspired to be the youngest person ever to run for mayor of Chicago. She'd planned to use the attention generated by the stunt to engage Chicagoans in a dialogue about her platform for addressing the crisis of homelessness, 
Lim's name had appeared on the flyers in a section marked affiant, which is a legal term for someone who oversees the serving of legal documents. Lim said she'd gone to the park on the morning of the 27th, stuffed the flyers into belongings and tents, and posted them throughout the park. She claimed she hadn't seen anyone in the early morning hours, but someone seems to have seen her. A local posted in the Rogers Park News Facebook group that they'd seen a single figure walking door to door, putting up what seemed to be weird propaganda about the homeless encampment in the park on the front doors and porches of homes on surrounding blocks. The commenter said that they'd traced the figure's path, tailing them about a half a block back and taking the flyers down. So what about the other name on the flyers? While they denied any involvement, it belonged to someone with ties to both Sarah Lim and Maria Haddon. Head of the Rogers Park Chamber of Commerce and candidate in the upcoming race for 49th Ward Alderperson, Bill Morton. Next time on Where I Stay. The candidate for Chicago Alderman says he is demanding an apology from the college student who sent fake eviction notices to people in a Rogers Park tin city and a stunt designed to benefit his campaign. Morton says he not only met Kim once to talk about her possible campaign, but that he had nothing to do with the flyers. We were uh, contacted at the Rogers Park Chamber of Commerce uh, by a reporter about this, and this was the first time I heard of this thing, and I was I was shocked. At WZRD, Sarah Lim. She is a DePaul University freshman running for mayor of the city of Chicago. How are you today, Sarah? Hi, I'm good. I'm excited for this. Where I Stay is produced by Jesse Batten with Suzanne Haney, A. Allen, Kiana Drummond, and Keith Hardiman. Additional editing by Sheila Solomon, Julie Youngquist, and Amanda Jones. Music by Andrew Bird, Andy Mitrin, and Jeremy Blake. A special thank you to Block Club Chicago, ProPublica, the Chicago Tribune, and CityCast Chicago, who broke many of the stories touched on throughout this series. Especially Mick Dumkey and Joe Ward, whose coverage of the 49th Ward is both thorough and invaluable. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate it if you take a second to leave a rating, write a review, or recommend it to a friend. To find out more about where I stay, visit streetwise.org. Until next time, thank you for listening. Want a good guy, Bill is his name. He'll answer your call like you want and all. He'll catch you a bus like everyone is us. He'll wage a good fight to bring streets more light. He'll work morning, noon, evening, and night. If you want a good guy, you've known him from years. Doing all he can, can to make places great. Bill is his name, Bill is his name, Bill Morton is his name.